0: To borrow those if you'd like. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the proofs of our Christ likeness. And tonight, this is one of those more uh, uh, challenging passages of Scripture with respect to living out a godly lifestyle. And as you think on this, there's a differentiation. And one of the things I appreciate about this particular passage of Scripture, he gives us a, a differentiation. If I'm walking in the Spirit, these are the things that are going to be in my life. If I'm living for myself, these are the things that will be in my life. And, and so there's, there's a clear delineation, there's a clear difference between these two different things. Here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, if you found your place, we'll read through verse 23. And uh, we will not uh, get through the, the fruit of the Spirit tonight, but we will, speak, we will read that. Verse 20, uh, 19 of Galatians chapter 5, now, the works of the flesh are manifest, means revealed, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, stripes, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me turn that down just a hair there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we find a sinful man revealed. One of the lists that are so common in Paul's writing, which starts here, the works of the flesh. He piles up word after word to expose the evil nature of man for what it is. All of these sins, there's 17 of them, are classified as the works of the flesh. You could also, in verse 16, this I say, verse, this, look at this, "...this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." So there is characteristics of walking in the Spirit. If these are in my life, these are what are there. The fruit of the Spirit, much like we have back up there on top, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be in our life. If they're not, you have the works of the flesh, which again we see up there uh, in the back of the auditorium. But uh, the, the one is inward, the other is outward. And every one of these sins here is abhorrent to the Holy Spirit of God. For convenience, let's categorize them. First, we find here... Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? He starts with sexual sins. And there's a, there's a reasoning here, and as you're going to look in this categorization, we find that sexual sins will bring a mental problems When you begin to deviate from, from the area that God has ordained and defined in the Scriptures, boundary-wise, sexually speaking, you will face mental problems, much like we find in society today. And so the first thing that he hears, he makes the statement manifest. It means they're open to view and they're visible. The first sin listed is adultery. And uh, that general word, the word used is pornea, or illicit sexual intercourse, pornea, like pornography. It includes adultery, although in some uh, places it is distinguished from it. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication. So there is a distinction there, uh, adultery between married uh, persons. But it is also uh, like the word porne, the word for a harlot, often signifies like a prostitute or sexual activities within degrees prohibited by God's Word. God ordained with Adam and Eve, one man, one woman married for life. Once, they're, once one of the partners dies, they, will, they can remarry, and that's totally legitimate and fine with the Lord. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, the church at Corinth had a man in the church who was sleeping, having sexual uh, relations with his stepmom. Gross. And uh, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Now, this word was commonly used for all types of sexual misbehavior. And uh, in Paul's day, casual relationships... I will be a little bit more vague because of the young person in the audience, but uh, the immorality, it was casual and promiscuous, and uh, it was all around Paul's day, much like we have today, Uh, you know, this, you know, one night stand and that kind of idea, but at Corinth in particular, immorality was so widely practiced, much like that of Sodom, That it became a synonym for vice. If you say the word Sodom today, what word, what thing comes to your mind? Now, you're going to think of uh, uh, potentially uh, uh, sexual issues with respect to uh, like same gender type relationships. But uh, there was such immorality in this area to actually, the word to Corinthianize was to practice debauchery. And uh, it was, you know, it was so rampant. In fact, that Paul's converts had trouble throwing off promiscuity as an accepted lifestyle, even once they were saved. A similar situation exists today. Young people often, uh, you know, experiment with premarital relations. Extramarital relations is also common. But a person who professes to be saved and thinks that it is okay to continue living together, man and woman, wife, as though although they've never been married, you have to question their salvation. Because if you continue in that path of living together outside of the bounds of marriage, the Spirit of God will grieve you so much you will be uncomfortable. We come to another word here from outside of adultery is fornication. Again, it means impurity. And often used in pagan society to denote a degree of ceremonial uncle- or cleanliness that enabled the devotee to approach his God. And, and they were unfit. An individual partaking of this is unfit to approach God. They will not be right with God. They will have God's hand of judgment against them. A general state of mental impurity. For instance... A person who may watch pornographic books, tell dirty jokes, go to uh, indecent joints, indecent nightclubs and those sorts of things. Uh, Impurity planted in the mind. The next word we find here is uncleanness. Now this is wantonness or licentiousness. Now what this means is an individual who is so driven by their lust that they don't care what people think or say. I don't care that you don't agree with it. I don't care that the Bible disagrees with it. I'm going to do it. Much like people today may, uh, today, I guess, in the school system, was Pride Day. It was Pride Day. They were dressing up in all the colors and going on. But they don't understand there's no shame, there's no fear for coming against the Lord. In the same streets of San Francisco and other major cities, people openly flaunt their shame. To look with me at Romans chapter one, verse twenty-seven. What does God think on this particular uh, action? Now, uh, understanding here, and we're going to get to this, but in Romans, uh, Romans chapter six, there is a discussion that uh, of, of a number of believers that this is what you used to be. I think that's actually 1 Corinthians 6. But he said, this is what you used to be. So just because this is in the past, but this is an individual, the works of the flesh, this is someone who is perpetually and continually in this act, and it doesn't bother them. You have to say, if it's not bothering them, I would say they're not saved. Because the Spirit of God is not pleased with this type of action. Romans chapter 1, verse 27, Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the wor- woman, burning their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meat. That was Romans chapter 1, verse 27. They're bold and brazen in their wickedness. And uh, in the New Testament, this Greek word is also used for unclean spirits. There can be little doubt that the works of the flesh exhibit such behaviors are stimulated, are stimulated by evil spirits. And I would say that many times some of the things that come in all these, I would say these drag shows and these other things that are perpetuated are demonic, they're evil, it is the, the heart of man, a wicked heart of man, it is demonic influence, you become, bring them together and you have a very wicked, evil lifestyle. Now, can people be saved out of it? Absolutely. There is no person that is beyond the state of being saved. Should we love these people? Absolutely. I don't agree with the sin, but I'm not against the person. I want them to accept Christ. Do I like the lifestyle? No. But it's not whether I like it or I don't like it. I've got to say, what does God think about it? I'm not there to be some mean person parading and, you know, that's not going to do any good because I'm not going to draw someone to the love of Christ. There were people in Jesus' day of all sorts of things, and even in the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of people that had a very wicked past. They did a lot of things that they would regret. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and such were some of you. Though that was your past, that is not how you are seen by God now. So I just want to make that note here that I am not against the person, but I am, But if someone is going to say, I am a believer and they are in this lifestyle, or they, they're professing believer, they're not a real believer, but if they're in this lifestyle and it's not bothering them, they have a serious issue. Because if it's not bothering them, God is against these sins. And if you're at odds with God, you're going to have a grieving of the Spirit of God internally, and you will not be comfortable. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We come next of all to a few other... Uh, there's, then there are spiritual sins. So there's sexual sins, and then we come to spiritual sins. We find here... A mention of idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, and so on and so forth in verse 20. And Paul mentions idolatry and witchcraft. Now, we don't usually think of idolatry as the works of the flesh, but it is. It represents religious flesh at its worst. It satisfies his cravings to have a visible, tangible God. Uh, It might be a thing of artistic beauty, or it might be as ugly as sin, but it gives visible form to the flesh Flesh is idea of God. It could be someone, it could be something, you know, even tomorrow. I, I heard there's a summer solstice thing going on, uh, I believe, at the hospital. And uh, there's going to be a worship of the sun, a worship, But you know, sometimes we see in this area a worship of the animals and a worship of other things, only to understand that this is idolatry. Nothing can be more astonishing than man's understanding to worship gods that he has fashioned with his own hands. Invisible evil spirits obviously give power to idolatry. This is why, in our world today, millions and I would say billions of people are given to idolatry. They are held in the grip and the shackles and the chains of idolatry. They worship the animals. They worship the stars, they worship the trees, they worship spirits, they worship their own selves. And Those who worship these idols will worship demons and they will be slaves. Idolatry is a work of the flesh and one of which Satan takes full advantage. And even more subtle idolatry is that substitutes men's own thoughts and philosophies for God. Men become worshipers of their own selves. What are some areas that we see in worship today? Humanism, communism, rationalism. The idea of communism, socialism, this whole thing, that we can bring about a perfect state. But that's impossible. Communism has never worked. Communism in any country where communism has come in has never, ever helped that country. It's benefited some but it has not been a great benefit overall. And uh, it is a form of idolatry because it's a thinking that man can make things better. And what it does is it pulls God off of the throne and it puts man on the throne and the authority and thus it is idolatry. Then we come to the idea here of witchcraft and uh, the empty soul of man estranged from God craves a contact with a supernatural force. Evil spirits are all too willing from time immemorial you'll find witches, mediums, psychics of all sorts, astrologers, necromancers. What is a necromancer? A necromancer is an individual or woman, a man or a woman, who speaks with the dead. Now they're not speaking to an ancient ancestor, they're speaking to a demonic spirit who imitates the ancient ancestor. A necromancer. And soothsayers have, often, have offered people contact with the unseen world. And it is very real. The demonic world is absolutely real. Satan's principalities and powers, the ruler of, of the darkness of this world, wicked spirits in high places, fallen angels, and demons will haunt places. People today are obliged many times. They think it's innocent, white magic, Ouija boards. Wrappings, seances, trances, incantations, horoscopes, visions, ecstatic utterances, tongues, prophecies, signs, healings, curses, and spells uh, de- Satan will use. Witchcraft is very real. And there's an age-old fascination with the very thing and what it has repackaged itself as. See, what's happened over the centuries, there is no new uh, heresy today. It is just a heresy of the past that someone has found, they repackage it, they make it sound nice, they put a few new words, they maybe change up a little bit, but it's repackaged faults from many years ago. Because, I mean, humanity only changes, you know, it's not like we're evolving to something better. We just continue to repeat a lot of the same mistakes. And, uh, you know, Satan worships covens, hauntings, demon possession, these are all part of the vast deception launched from the alien, hostile, unseen world. Now, I say alien, uh, not in a sense of some green goblins, you know, from outer space, but I say alien as a, as a, because we're talking about a supernatural realm. It's outside of the physical that we see here. So the word actually for uh, witchcraft is actually pharmakia, like pharmaceuticals, is literally sorcery. Pharmacy is actually derived in the English from this word. And it links itself to occultism and the use of drugs. In sorcery, witches use drugs, incantations, charms, and amulets to accomplish her aims. Amulets, little, uh, little gems, and these types of different things. You know, one explanation for the hopeless addiction of people who get hooked on drugs is they fall under the power of demonic spirits. It makes clear that occultism will be... Uh, increase in the post-Christian era, and I say we are in a post-Christian era. There is no longer a desire for the things of God. There is no longer in, and I say this in a general fashion, but there is not in our society a wonder, is is there a God? They just said there is no God, or there is a God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Now I want you to look with me at Revelation chapter 9, A glimpse of a God hating demon drug culture hardened in its sin. Look with me at Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. It is interesting, the very things that the Apostle Paul, he starts off with sexual sins, any sin outside of the bounds of marriage. Man and woman ought to be married if they're going to have physical relations. Now, he comes to the next one, he comes to spiritual sins. He comes to these very things of witchcraft and false doctrine. But in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, and the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, Yet repented not, this is verse 20 of Revelation 9, Yet repented not of their works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, uh, which can neither see, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. So he's talking about the idea of the sorceries is they're continually how many people have you spoken to that have used drugs that have seen demonic spirits? Have you ever talked to someone that has been in a drug induced state, they've used a drug and they've seen demonic spirits. I or even alcohol. I've talked to people using drugs, and I've talked to people with alcohol. They said the other night I was there in my room, and I saw this spirit come around me, and man, it was, it it really scared me. Or there's sometimes people say, I saw this spirit, and it was a big ball of light, and it made me really happy. Well, irrespective of that, they are opening themselves up into the demonic realm in the use of, of these drugs. And, you know, the triumph of the work Uh, works of the flesh is that they finally spawn the antichrist a diabolical creature so our world today even as like vancouver has legalized all drugs even dispensing hard drugs to people on the streets is is again it's bringing people it's opening them up to a demonic realm to destroy life it's it's satan is a mastermind he wants to kill steal kill and destroy and it's very sad. We see it all around us. After the idolatry and witchcraft, we come to another sin group social sins. So you have sexual sins, you have spiritual sins, idolatry and witchcraft, and then you come to uh, social sins. Now, <clears throat> again, we have sexual sins, spiritual sins, idolatry and witchcraft. If someone is partaking of drugs, they are in a form of idolatry that is replacing Jesus Christ as the throne of their lives. Now, Jesus can give deliverance from that. But in this, so, next coming to the next one, social sins, the outrage of human, human life and society. Now, let's look at this first one. Uh, hatred. This is opposite of love. What is the, when you get so vilely angry at someone i hate them you nurture a hostility i want to go knock their block off i want to go punch them in the face i you know all sorts of things we find something else the world is full of hatred racial religious political strife fostered by the devilish spirit of hatred and enmity. Satan loves there to be. This whole idea in communism is to have one group of people against another group of people. I preached on this here a few years ago, and the whole idea of communism. But it is to have one group of people to keep the nation being divided because then one group is going to oppress the other group and keep them down. And it's not going to be good. There, there's been this, communism has never been good. It's, it's, it's completely of the devil. Karl Marx, one of the founders there, the, the Communist Manifesto, he was a very demonically uh, inspired individual and very tormented. But we find all sorts of racial, religious, and political strife in our world today, and the, the root of that is spiritual. Why should I hate someone just because of the color of their skin? That is demonic from my own selfish heart, but it doesn't come from God. God never, ever, ever advocates of a racial divide. It doesn't matter because we are all created in the very image of God. That is God's divine plan. Now, why should we cherish enmity of the deadliest sort toward another person? Because they differ from us in a point of doctrine over a scientific theory or over a political issue. We have seen this over and over again. Uh, many times uh, there has been religious crusades that will kill other people in the name of religion. But that is not of God In the destruction. God and the word of God is for all people to have a choice what they believe. Now, in the end, when they die, there's obviously consequences. But to oppress an individual and say, you must believe this or, or, or die is, is, is definitely of Satan. It is not of God. Nowhere does God call us. Now, why did, I mean, you might be saying, well, what about Canaan? What about the promised land? Well, there was so much Uh, sexual promiscuity and diseases in that land all sorts of idolatry of these Canaanites they knew of the power of God to deliver the Israelites they knew he was the real God and they still turned their back and persisted in their idolatry and they were judged Israel did the exact same thing of the people they pushed out and and Dispossessed of the land and what happened there? They went into captivity. They were killed by the sword There was famine and starvation all sorts of things if you go into idolatry You're putting yourself outside of the protection of God And DL Moody liked in one of his sermons, to depict the Lord's sending of Simon Peter on a mission of mercy he said find the man who crowned me with thorns and tell him I wish to offer him a crown in heaven. Find the man, this is Jesus speaking, find the man who pierced my side with that spear. Tell him there's a quicker way to my heart. Now The Bible tells us instead of hatred, we are to love. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Man, I, you know what, we see a world today destroying itself. People destroying, tearing each other apart. Families torn apart. Parents and children at enmity with one another. Churches at odds. We see a lot of stuff going on today. Social sins are a part of the works of the flesh. You can't say, well, God told me this, and you're in such a rampage. You are thereby acting in the flesh, not of the spirit. Now, I will talk about this a little bit more. But just if you're in the if you're walking in the fruit, of the, walking in the spirit or the fruit of the spirit, it is not that you are a pushover because Jesus wasn't a pushover. It wasn't that Jesus let people walk all over him, but he stood for truth. Now he did not revile when they were reviling. When they made accusations against him, he didn't, he didn't respond and try to justify himself. He just let it be, because he understood that the justice would be before God, and at the end of the day, he would be the final judge at the end of the world. But in Matthew chapter five, verse 44, the opposite of hatred. this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5:44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What part of hatred is there? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Or he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. In Romans chapter 12, verse 20, a similar idea here. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Potentially, if you have a co-worker or a family member who is at odds with you, the word of God is saying, do good to them. Do good to them. Go out of your way to help them. That's a social sin. But God tells us how to deal with the social sins. He comes to another word here, variance. What does that word variance mean? Strife or quarrelsome. You ever had an individual, rivalry, contention, wrangling? Have You ever had someone that has a lot of drama around them? I mean, they have drama all the time around them. I mean, so-and-so, you know, they're just kind of yapping, you know. And they're just always, I mean, you're just like, I mean, you're worse than a soap opera. I mean they're they're competitive i'm better than so and so and so because of envy and jealousy i mean they're always just yip yapping and all over the place and there's an evil spirit from a selfish heart and animosity cain killed abel because of variance contention why does abel get god's affection and i don't cain didn't say oh i must be doing something wrong cain just looked at hey God is God's preferential. God likes Abel more than he likes me. Let's slay my brother, and then he has to like me. But there is this in the workplace. So-and-so got a raise. So-and-so got this. I should have got it. They didn't get it. And all the time in our mind, there's this contention: I need to be better than them. They need, you know, all sorts of things. But it's creating stress, it's creating drama, and it's of the flesh. He uses another word here as we come a little further here, in the works of the flesh, emulations or jealousy. In a good sense, it would be the word zeal. Maybe you're doing something and somebody else gets a louder round of applause. Somebody else gets an award that you don't get. And you're angry. We come to another word, wrath. And it's actually used seven times to describe the wrath of God in Revelation. And uh, I want to read just a few for you. You're welcome if you'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 14. You can read of these. There's seven of them, but I won't read all of them for the sake of time this evening. If these are in your life, you can mark it down. You are behaving according to the flesh. You are not behaving in a godly way. If this is in your life, you've got to come to the realization, I am behaving like the flesh. And if I'm behaving like the flesh, I will not have God's hand of protection and blessing and joy and peace on my life. I will not. You can say, but I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible. But you're, lis- you're living in the flesh. You're living in all of these evil things. In Revelation fourteen eight, 8, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 10 of Revelation 14, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. and He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I mean, this is drinking a cocktail of absolute revenge of God. Perfect revenge perfect, not revenge, but perfect justice on sin. And this wrath in a fleshly manner, not God's, this is just talking about, it's kind of describing the wrath of God, but when someone is in wrath, I mean, they've like lost their mind. They are incensed. I mean, have you ever had gotten so mad and you start doing some things and you look back, you're like, that was really stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. Well, you weren't thinking. You were just responding in your emotion. <laughs> you know, going crazy, because you are literally enraged. It speaks of hot anger and a passion. Now, God's wrath is always righteous, but ours is usually sinful. Here, following on the word of jealousy is wrath. realize this that moses because of wrath the first time israel was in the in the wilderness they said moses we don't have any water did you bring us out in the desert to kill us we should have stayed in egypt moses ah! you know, and god's like ah he says moses i want you to take your staff i want you to hit the rock so he does the second time god says moses i want you to speak to the rock Moses gets so mad, must I give you water? Whack, and he nails it. Well, the, the problem was that the first time he hit that rock was a, it was a picture of Jesus Christ as the rock being smitten on the cross, being broken. That's what it talks about that there in 1 Corinthians. So the second time, when he smacks that rock, must I, he didn't realize he didn't give God glory. And as a result, of his failure in leadership and his wrath, what happened? Moses didn't enter the promised land. When I lose myself to an angry state, very likely I lose privileges of God. Come to another word here after wrath, wrath is strife. It means factions, rivalries. Splitting of churches, rival denominations. It comes from the word meaning hireling. We associate with the desire to win a following. You're going to follow me. We're better than so-and-so. Well, It's not about following any man. Your responsibility is to follow Christ. Be in a church that follows Christ. After you find the word strife you find seditions. Standing apart it's another word for dichotomy which means die two so there's a split. Believers who are in churches creating divisions. That's a work of the flesh. When there is division in a church I tell you there's silly things churches have split over the color of the carpet. I heard of one church that split because the piano was on one side and the other faction of the church believed it should be on the other side. I mean, there are all sorts of things that someone can get up in their crawl and they get all... I mean, they are just incensed over sometimes silly, petty things. I have been... There was a time back when I was doing teen evangelism and I was preaching at different churches doing uh, youth rallies for teenagers... And I went into church, and one church particularly, and, and this was uh, because of sexual sin. The, the, the music pastor had slept with his uh, sister-in-law, and, and then there was a whole, it was awful. Anyways, and so like one half of the church sat in the far back, and the other, church, the other part of the church sat in the front, and in between was like the Red Sea had been parted. I mean, it was like, it was ice cold going into that church. There was a massive split And Satan would get his advantage. We'll come to another word here, heresies. And is used of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They have a doctrinal position. When I mean doctrine, I'm talking about the core beliefs of the Bible but, <clears throat> or, a, or your beliefs of the Bible. So the Sadducees' beliefs of the Word of God was different than Jesus, and they got angry at it. There's, so again, there's, there's all these things wrapped up here, but there's heresies. It's used in a tirade against the Apostle Paul when he was called of the sect of the Nazarenes. For instance, when the Apostle Paul got saved, there was a a division. Heresy is a division that is thoroughly established and and organized around false teaching. There is a heresy of Mormonism. It's heresy. It'll send people to hell. There's a heresy of the Seventh-day Adventism. Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, all sorts of heresies, but these are all the works of the flesh wherein you take God, you put Him in a box, you systematize Him, and you say X, you know, A, B, C, D, and you go down the line, these are the things that you must do in order to earn heaven. But the problem is, and these heresies abound in religion. I would like you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I'm trying to, to hasten here on this. I hope I'm not going too fast. If I am, please do ask. I've got a lot of material, so I'm skipping over some of it. But um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I guess I can always go another week. Amen? Good stuff? And uh, I've got a lot. <laughs> Tell me if I'm going too fast, and I'll slower down, but First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. heresies are a work of the flesh. When man says, nope, that's not what the Bible says, this is what God says, and they stand in God's place in an incorrect way and create teachings and beliefs that are at odds with God. That's a heresy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man, when he's talking about the natural man, this is a person prior to salvation. They're not a Christian, okay? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You, When an individual is not a Christian, they read the Bible and they say, I don't quite understand what's going on here. Now, I'm not talking about there's a lot of things, you know, you're reading the Bible, and you're like, I don't. I, man, God's, I'm reading here, and sometimes I get, man, God's just speaking to me, and other times I'm like, I don't quite understand it. I'm not talking about that case. But I'm saying they read the scriptures, and the Spirit of God's not speaking to them. They're not convicted. Okay? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit of God, when you become a believer, you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He speaks to you, and he, he gives you. I mean, there's times I'm reading something, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And all of a sudden, I'm reading, and something just strikes, and I'm just like, ah! I never saw that, Lord. Or I didn't realize that was in my life. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it's like a dart just hit my heart. And I said, oh, wow, I've got some things I need to work on. You see, Mormons believe several things. Let me give you a few things here. Mormons believe that the dissolute character named Joseph Smith, which he was, he was a horrible man. I mean, he was unethical. He would swindle you out of money, and he was all sorts. Of, he found some plates written in Egyptian hieroglyphics that he was able to translate with the aid of some magic glasses in the Book of Mormon, which was composed in imitation King James English style. They believe, Mormons do, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They don't like you calling them Mormons, but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe that God has a body and that Jesus was a polygamist, meaning he had multiple wives. They believe the lie of the devil, ye shall be as gods. Here's several heresies that we see in our world today. Christian scientists. Christian science is pretty popular uh, amongst like Hollywood and those, but they pin, the Christian scientists pin their faith in the metaphysical so like outside of the actual physical realm, uh, uh, in the metaphysical meanders of Mary Baker Gloverson, uh, Mary Baker Glover Patterson Eddy. I won't say that again. Anyways, uh, she buried three husbands and eventually died herself, proclaimed death to be an error of the mortal mind and pain to be an illusion. Jehovah's Witnesses mock at the Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. Okay? And uh, Jesus is God in the flesh, then you have God the Holy Spirit, and then you have God the Father, but they're all God. Uh, They believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel. They deny the biblical doctrine of hell. There is no hell for the Jehovah's Witnesses. They deny the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus never resurrected from the grave. They believe that Jesus returned in the year 1914, and they claim that only 144,000 people can be born again and make general mayhem of Bible prophecy. There's other heresies, such as Gnosticism being the most dangerous, but the brand of teaching that Judaizers Judaizers that are here, the Judaizers of those that are saying, you must be circumcised, you must partake of all these Jewish feasts, you must do this, you must do this, and it's just, again, a whole list of things you must do, so somehow God will be pleased with you. You know, in every one of these, you can never be settled that what Jesus did was enough. In none of these these beliefs did Jesus do enough, and that settled it. Jesus did it, and you must do something. The other words that we find here in Galatians chapter 5 Envyings in verse 21. You realize that it was Mark 15:10. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Jesus was delivered into the, into the court system because of envy. The Pharisees were envious of him. Envy is a malicious spirit of displeasure that results in some people when they see or, see or hear someone else being advantaged or praised, when you hear maybe of a family member, when you hear of someone else gets something, are you like, well, I should have got it too. You know, sometimes as kids, you know, if like someone's giving out a piece of candy and mom and dad are cutting that piece of candy in two because there's only one piece left and if it's maybe a gummy and they cut it in two, those kids are all looking, "Which, which piece is the bigger piece, right? You know they are. They're cutting. He got the bigger piece. No, she got the bigger piece. (laughs) There's envy. Somebody got the bigger piece. No, it's the same size. No, it's the bigger piece. And the squabbles continue. You understand this, right? There's a displeasure. Somebody got something that I didn't get. Want you to tell? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14:30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Envy is the rottenness of the bones. You can be envious of someone else and it's going to eat away at you, not only spiritually, but physically as well. Envy is malicious. It's spiteful. I'm going to get the better of them. Then we come to the word murders, right? Cain killed his brother. Society is filled with murder. One reason why murder is more common in our modern society is that modern sociologists think they know better than God does. Why is there so much murder today? There's tremendous amount of money in culture there's tremendous amount of money in programs. There's a lot of money in all sorts of things, but we find murder all around us. People no longer, there is no longer capital punishment. God places a very high value on human life, every person is valuable. Then we hear of drunkenness. Overindulging in strong drink. I think that's quite clear, right? But in drunkenness leads to a whole host of other sins. When someone's drunk, they do a lot of foolish things. And Proverbs will talk about this. You realize several things here. The first drunkard in the Bible was Noah. The second one was Lot, who his two daughters would have incest with their daughters. They would have two boys. Each daughter would have a child from her father, from their father. Those two boys would be some of the fiercest enemies of Israel. It started when those daughters got their dad drunk, thinking there's no one else around, so they got their daddy, their daddy drunk, so that they could have a baby with their daddy. Gross. When David wanted to cover his sin with Bathsheba, he got her husband drunk so that he would think that Uriah would go home to be with his wife. I mean, the, the implications of someone being drunk and the foolishness and all the, all the errors and problems that happened are just unbelievable. And the last thing that we see here is revelings. It actually occurs here three times in the New Testament. And the word can be rendered orgies or carousing. And it describes a licentious group of devotees of Bacchus, the god of wine. Someone goes beyond the barriers of restraint and anything goes. You think about it today, I was just seeing an article this afternoon in my email, there's a 50 year old guy who identifies as a 13 year old girl. If you're 50, you can't be 13. I don't care how long you identify, So this guy, a 50-year-old guy, is swimming with girls that are 13. It's insanity. Insanity. Ungodly. I mean, there's no barrier of restraint. Once you begin to go down sexual sins and social sins and spiritual sins, there is no end to how crazy this would all go. I mean... I used to think, well, okay, people are identifying as a cat. Or I mean, you're just like, what? I identify as a duck. You're thinking, um, Pastor, you've lost it. But today people think, oh, okay, you're a duck. Quack, quack. You know? when, we go, when you go in the works of the flesh, you're going to go to an area that's going to lead you far further than you ever thought you would go. No person ever picks up a joint or picks up a bottle or does something or looks at a a, a crude image of pornography online thinking, oh, that's it, I'm done, and think that's all that there's going to be. But it's going to be a continual going down, 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 and life will not get better. Satan has caused man to go after the flesh. I want you to look with me at verse 21. I'm almost done here, I promise. In verse 21 of Galatians chapter 5. You see, the flesh is what makes people behave like all these things we just read, the 17 sins. There's no end. I mean, who would have thought our world would be where it's at today? 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I would have never thought that our world would be where we're at today. When I heard people talking about furries, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what? But when you begin to deviate from God, you follow your heart. You're going to do a lot of things that definitely do not make sense. Because you've pulled away from the restraints that God has put. And wires our world, all the mental health problems and all sorts of things well, the earth is changing in climate, blah, 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 blah. No. There's a spiritual reason many times, and I would say almost all times, in the mental decline, because it's a society that goes away from God. You go away from God, the source of life, peace, joy. You go away from the very thing that is necessary. As you look here, in verse 21, as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If someone is living these lifestyles, and says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear. If you can sin and live in this lifestyle and have it not bother you, then you're not saved. According to W.E. Vine, this heathen behavior is completely, it's an indictment against those who say, follow the heart. Paul excludes from the kingdom of God those who make a habitual practice for some of all, or all of these terrible sins. I want you to look with me at a final passage. 1 Corinthians 6. And just because someone is in these sins now, I'm not against that person. I'm not going to agree with it because the Bible doesn't agree with it. I'm not against these persons. I'm to give them the love of Christ. I'm to show them the gospel. I'm not against them. I'm not any better than them. I've been redeemed by the blood of Lamb. I'm not any better than them. But we can't change the standards that God has set because within the standards that God has set are the boundaries to, re, to receive the peace and the joy and the comfort and the encouragement of the Lord. I think I want to stay in those walls. Oh, I think I want to be there. You write here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. We spoke about that, right? All sexual activity outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves or mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, wonderful, beautiful statement, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but you are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? God does not identify you by your past sins. You're not a recovering alcoholic. If you've you've been freed of alcohol, you're not a recovering alcoholic. You're a child of God, freed. Don't say you're recovering if Jesus has made you free. Don't say you're recovering from this because that just continues to tie you with the past. I'm not tied with the past. Jesus freed me from that, those ball and chains. As we come to the invitation time this evening, I just want to challenge you, if any of these sins are in your life and it doesn't bother you, I would have to ask you, number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because if it doesn't bother you, you very well may not be saved. The Bible tells us that if you're not saved, there is a place of judgment the Bible calls hell. God's not willing that any should perish. God God created it for the devil and his angels. He didn't create it for you. And this evening, if you're committing these, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm convicted. I'm I'm not saved. I'm not going to heaven. I know I'm a wicked sinner. And I'd like to ask Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. You know what? Jesus will forgive you. He'll forgive you of all your sins. What an amazing thing. And Christian... If these sins are in our lives, then we're living for the flesh. And and I I, I would assume if these sins are in your lives, you're very troubled in your mind. What you need to do is say, God says it's sin. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm just going to say, God says it's wrong. I say it's wrong. Lord, please forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need to be defined that way anymore. And then as you get into the Word of God, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's an amazing thing. But Christian, you don't have to be tied to the past, and such were some of you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, a time of quietness between you and the Lord, I encourage you to just pray and talk with God, however He may have spoken to your heart this evening. If you're not saved, I'd love to meet you after the service and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. And again, anything I said tonight, I'm not any better than anyone None of us are better than any other person. We're all sinners saved by grace if you know Jesus as your Savior.